This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, November 7th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, San Miguel County begins master plan update, sewer relocation at Voodoo gets stopped up, governments discuss regional animal impound, and a mountain weather forecast. But first... San Miguel County Search and Rescue and Sheriff deputies responded to Dry Creek Basin near Norwood over the weekend after reports of a missing hunter. Daniel Emerson, a 64-year-old man from California, was found dead with no apparent sign of trauma. According to those hunting with Emerson, he left to hunt by himself on Friday afternoon. When he did not return to camp, his friends went to search for him. Unsuccessful, they called dispatch the following morning. The group found him on Saturday, and search and rescue recovered his body from the backcountry. The cause and manner of death is under investigation. San Miguel County is planning for the future with a new regional master plan. This will replace the Telluride Regional Area Master Plan, which is over 30 years old. Um... We are expanding the area to encompass more of the entire East End um, in recognition of uh, issues that um, are much greater than uh, those of the current boundary. Um, It's a critical opportunity for communities, organizations, and the local jurisdictions to all work together uh, to create a comprehensive, forward-thinking vision for the region. That's Kay Simonson, Planning Director for San Miguel County, presenting before an intergovernmental meeting with the towns of Telluride, Mountain Village, Norwood, and Ophir this week. The master plan will be a guiding document for development over the next several decades. Currently, the county is in the first phase of the master plan process. Which is called Inform and Consult. We're, we're gathering information. We're gathering facts right now. We had a meeting last week with our advisory group, which is made up of citizens, uh, planning commissioners, a board of county commissioner, um, uh, and uh, also uh, county staff. Um, And the purpose of that group is to help us pull all this information together and make decisions as we move throughout the process. In the coming weeks, there will be a number of stakeholder groups to look at topics such as tourism and visitors, housing, environmental stewardship, transportation, and equity and livability. It's our goal to be as inclusive as possible, um, reaching out to um, as many uh, people as we can, and we'll be constantly evaluating, asking who are we hearing from, who are we not hearing from, and uh, how can we get, you know, access the people that we are not hearing from. To get that engagement from the community, the county plans to hold a number of pop-up events throughout the winter. There will be a survey coming. Updates will also be available on the Master Plan website at sanmiguelcountyco.gov slash eastendmasterplan. San Miguel County aims to have a draft master plan by May, with adoption coming in early summer 2023. In the last few weeks, maybe some construction interrupted your usual errand to the Telluride Post Office. That construction appears to have gone as quickly as it arrived. 
The work was an unsuccessful attempt to move a sewer line in order to prepare for construction of the Voodoo Affordable Housing Project, which the town of Telluride hopes to complete next year. KOTO's Gavin McGough has more. Presenting to the Telluride Housing Authority Subcommittee, Projects Manager Lance McDonald says that the main goal of the work which took place by the post office in late October was unsuccessful. Town had been hoping to relocate a sewer line so they could proceed with demolition and initial construction over the winter. When they dug into the earth, however, McDonald says that the groundwater was flowing too quickly. We um, potholed, excavated the sewer line at the intersection of Pacific Avenue and Willow Street. The groundwater was exactly where we thought the groundwater would be. The volume, the rate of the groundwater was very, very high, excessively high to where our use of tanks was not practical. You would have to be permanently pumping a lot of water. So the idea is that we'll do that next year, next spring, and leave the sewer line where it is. McDonald says they changed plans and instead completed other work, such as burying a power line. The sewer line could complicate but will not stop site preparations from happening this winter. We can work around the sewer line that could not be moved because of the excessive water. We've already come up with a plan to work around that, and we have successfully relocated the power line. So we did get some work done this fall that would help that. The, the schedule that we will be provided will show a lot of work happening over the winter. Um, piles being driven, foundational elements going in. The contractor, Shaw Construction, is preparing to present town with a cost estimate for the project in the next few weeks. Shaw will soon be prepared to begin the demolition phase of the project. We have, you know, a good three to four weeks of demolition on site to do. We have mass excavation. We're not digging down that much, but we have dirt we need to dig, clear the site. So there's a lot of work that needs to happen. And we can have our pipe pile permits issued before we have the full building permit for the project issued. Also in his update, McDonald reports that a separate project, the Virginia Placer 2A building, is facing questions of financing. That project will provide housing for critical town staff and first responders. McDonald reports the funding town hoped to use for the project is insufficient, and he says he is unsure how the subcommittee would like to proceed. Right now it's unclear to me, at least as far as what the best way to proceed financially with that project is. If it's not that big of a deal, if the other departments can come up with the funds for doing this project, then sounds like we can move forward with the current design. Mayor and committee member Delaney Young says that because the project is building such a specific type of housing, she hesitates to use certain town funds. I'm going to just say this. I'm a little uncomfortable with the idea of using affordable housing fund money for a project that is not necessarily specifically affordable housing. And I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know, but I would want to look really closely at our defined terms of how that money is supposed to be used just so we don't get in a sticky wicket situation. Where exactly additional financing will come from remains unclear, but committee members floated ideas such as a slight property tax increase and pursuing grant funding. If you ask Dr. Steve Smolin, San Miguel County is in need of a pound, an animal adoption facility. Our hospital also currently serves as the dog pound you know, for Mountain Village and the town of Telluride. 
and, you know, work with the police departments um, to help control that problem that exists here. Um, we also, early on in, in working here with the animal hospital, you know, found the need that we get a lot of animals that are, you know, strays, injured, um, dogs that sort of end up on our doorstep. And, you know, we started the Telluride Humane Society um, as a nonprofit to help, um, you know, again, help with that burden that we deal with as veterinarians in an animal hospital. Smolin is the veterinarian at the Telluride Animal Hospital and co-founder of the Telluride Humane Society. But he notes an increase in services is making their work more difficult. We've sort of outgrown our, you know, capacity, even just for, um, you know, serving as an animal hospital. Smolin hopes to create a new facility that can serve as a pound for animals and an adoption facility for the Humane Society. I would think a thousand square feet you know, would be able to work that at least initially, you know, it's, it's random when impound dogs come in, when rescue dogs show up. So it doesn't need to be a large facility. Um, We don't really need a medical aspect to that as our hospital could service that. Um, maybe a small area for adoptions, you know, where when we get animals in that some people can come and visit with those animals or interface with them. So, you know, I, I think it's a thousand square feet would, would serve that purpose initially. And he believes the project is something the community would support. The proposal is to at least maybe as a community start thinking about, you know, how we can do that, where we can do that. And um, I'm sure this community would embrace such a uh, proposal. Smolin presented at an intergovernmental meeting this week. Government officials appear to be open to the idea, but note they need more information when it comes to what the pound would look like, how funding would be handled, and where the facility would go. San Miguel County is looking to create a working group to discuss the proposition further. The day is officially here. Tuesday, November 8th, is Election Day 2022. With one more day to turn in ballots, over 1,300,000 Coloradans have already voted. The majority of ballots returned so far have been from unaffiliated voters at roughly 38 percent, then Democratic voters at 32 percent, finally Republican voters at 29 percent. The majority of voters have come from Jefferson County. As of Monday, 2097, San Miguel County voters had submitted their ballots. There is a 24-hour ballot drop box at the Miramonte Building in Telluride and the Gluckson Building in Norwood. On Tuesday, Election Day, polls will be open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. at the San Miguel County Annex in Telluride and at Norwood Town Hall. As the weather turns cold and winter moves in, is there anything better than watching a good film? The Ridgeway Independent Film Fest doesn't think so. 
This week, the film festival will be once again bringing a selection of short films from around the world to share with the community. With this year's theme of Think Outside, Ridgeway's motto, the festival is celebrating unique and out-of-the-box thinking with deep connection with and access to the outdoors. There is also a new category of film this year, Emerging Voices, for filmmakers 20 years and younger. The Ridgeway Independent Film Fest will take place on Friday, November 11th and Saturday, November 12th from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Sherbonneau Theater in Ridgeway. Children's Hospital Colorado saw peak numbers of RSV for the month of October. As KSUT Tribal Radio's Sarah Flower reports, pediatricians are expecting a rough winter for respiratory viruses. Respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, is causing a significant increase in hospitalizations in Colorado. The majority of these are in children younger than five years old. Dr. Kevin Massacar is an infectious disease pediatrician at Children's Hospital Colorado and an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Dr. Massacar says in 2020 and 2021, there was very little RSV circulating in comparison to years past. While pre-pandemic life has returned for many, Dr. Messicar says public health officials predicted this year to be an unusually big year for respiratory viruses. This is a very early start to be uh, seeing high levels of cases starting in October and in November. So over the past few weeks, we've been very busy uh, in our ERs, on our hospital floors, in our ICUs, really at peak respiratory season levels in terms of hospitalizations for children being driven primarily by RSV. Some pediatric hospitals across the country are reaching their capacity. While Children's Hospital Colorado is having surging numbers, Dr. Massacar says they are not having to use their surge plan just yet. Rural areas like southwest Colorado generally see a lag in their numbers behind urban areas' peaks. Pediatric Partners of the Southwest is the largest pediatric office in the region. Dr. Cecile Fraley is a practicing pediatrician there and CEO of the organization. During the month of October, Dr. Fraley says they tested 70 children under the age of 4 for RSV, and 22 of those were positive, which for them is high for this early in the season. But it's not the only virus Dr. Fraley has her eyes on. We're creating lots of slots for sick visits and expect that to go on for some time period. The predictions are to have a pretty significant flu year, possibly the worst we've had in 15 years. Symptoms for RSV can appear much like the common cold and may include congestion, cough, fever, fatigue, and sneezing. What makes RSV more severe is its ability to constrict airways. Not everyone who tests positive for the virus needs to be hospitalized. The Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment says those that are having trouble breathing or dehydrated may need to seek further treatment. According to the Center for Disease Control, RSV is most dangerous for infants, young children, and those over the age of 65. Reporting for KSUT, I'm Sarah Flower. Colorado's election workers are on high alert. Threats have caused many of the state's county clerks to reinforce their offices with new locks, walls, and bulletproof glass. And some are taking other surprising steps to keep themselves safe, despite new laws meant to protect them. 
KUNC's Scott Franz reports on how election workers are adapting to the increased scrutiny and stress. Josh Ziegelbaum works behind a series of locked doors that can only be opened with key cards. Every inch of his office is monitored by new security cameras. The cubicle walls are higher. And every morning before he goes to work as the clerk and recorder in Adams County, he puts on a bulletproof vest under his shirt. I wear it under, you know, as the abundance of caution. These new security measures started two years ago, when election workers faced threats stemming from false claims the 2020 election was stolen or tampered with. A handful of candidates in Colorado then made unfounded allegations about voter irregularities in this year's primary election and requested recounts, which confirmed their losses. As the tense climate surrounding elections drags on, Ziegelbaum says it's starting to distract from his main job, running a free and fair election. And when we're focused on our personal security, uh, rather than just the the election security as well, it takes a little bit of focus away from what we should be doing. Ziegelbaum is a Democrat, but the threats and misinformation are affecting Republicans too. Carly Coppas is the clerk and recorder in Weld County. She says the climate is making it hard to hire election workers, and many of the people stepping forward to fill the gaps are coming with an agenda. We've seen already uh, a lot of people trying to advocate the election denier groups to apply for open positions in elections offices or even in any office of the clerk and recorder's office to get a foot in. Coppice says 35 of the poll watchers she approved to observe the June primary election had ties to election denier groups. And an exodus of election workers isn't just happening in Colorado. An entire elections department quit suddenly this fall in a small town in the Texas Hill Country because they were fed up with harassment and online threats. Back in Adams County, Ziegelbaum says his staff is pushing forward, but they're having to do things they've never had to do before. We've done active shooter trainings. We've had very long conversations about, you know, just general awareness and complacency, uh, heightened awareness when, when you're leaving your house or leaving the office ways in which to see if somebody's following you when you're driving. And on Wednesday, one of Ziegelbaum's workers discovered a ballot in a Dropbox with a suspicious powder in it. Initial testing said it was some sort of cooking substance, but the state is looking into it further. Meanwhile, his office is doing more than playing defense. Ziegelbaum is hoping the daily tours he offers to the public builds trust and starts to turn the tide against a flurry of misinformation. If someone wants to come in and really get involved with the election, come on, you're welcome. We hire election workers, hundreds of them for every single election. Colorado has new rules this year to protect Ziegelbaum and others running elections. State lawmakers passed tougher criminal penalties for people who threaten election workers. And the state is spending a million dollars to help clerks protect against insider threats. Ziegelbaum says the changes are already giving him peace of mind. You already couldn't, you know, threaten a vote center or attack a vote center or 
there's levels of harassment that can be criminal harassment, right? Those laws were already there, but this gives it some specific teeth around the election, and that helps out. Dozens of clerks are also banding together to try and get ahead of the misinformation that leads to the threats. In Eagle County on the West Slope, County Clerk Regina O'Brien is monitoring social media posts. She says some are wrongfully urging people to camp out at ballot boxes for security reasons. All Colorado 24-hour ballot drop boxes have always been required to have round-the-clock video surveillance, and any issues that might arise would be captured on video and dealt with appropriately. This election season kicked off with a warning from the FBI about Colorado being one of a handful of states they fear is more prone to election threats and disruptions. The state's Bipartisan County Clerks Association says that so far, there haven't been any major disruptions or reasons to worry about the integrity of the vote. I'm Scott Franz. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around freezing. Winds could gust as high as 40 miles per hour. Tuesday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night with a high in the mid-40s and a low in the mid-30s. Wednesday, there's a 30% chance of snow showers with mostly sunny skies and a high near 40 degrees. Wednesday night, there's a 90% chance of snow showers with a low around 15. This has been the news for Monday, November 7th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Attention parents with young children. Do you want to learn strategies for managing your child's challenging behavior and the developmental reasons behind it? Join Bright Futures, Wilkinson Public Library, and Telluride R1 School District on Wednesday, November 9th for a free parenting workshop all about challenging behavior. The workshop begins at 5.30 p.m. at the library. Dinner and childcare will be provided, and Spanish translation will be available. See you at the library. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Cotto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.